The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It does make a difference where we hear the words of the gospel. For example, around the world today, mass is being celebrated in a great variety of nations under a wide variety of languages within a great variety of buildings. But in very few of those places is there a rock quite like this one. And in very few of those places is there a newly installed three-ton rock to be an altar. And in even fewer of those places is there another multi-ton boulder from which we proclaim the word on the day where our gospel reading speaks about rocks. And we need to take advantage of that. It's a reminder of how marvelously particular the Word of God can be. On the one hand, around the world, Catholics are listening to this gospel, this same gospel. And yet the speaking of that gospel is unique in each location. Unique to each congregation, but also unique to each setting. Unique to each place. And let's be honest. If we were inside, away from the rocks, everything would sound different. And so we start right there. But the other important thing to recognize is that part of the context is the group of people who have come, including this young man right here who I am going to pull out of his bench. Well, not literally pull. Because I've got some questions for you, my friend. What's your name? Nicholas. Nicholas, turn around. Don't worry, everybody only looks scary, okay? <laughs> Nicholas, do you live in a house? Yes. 
You do? Okay, good. And who has the keys to your house? Mom. Mom has the keys. And what would happen if mom lost the keys? Would you be able to get in? You'd have to find a new one. Okay. Now, suppose, suppose that your mom decided that she was also going to give a house key to somebody else so that somebody else could get into your house. What kind of person should that be? Family member. A family member. Okay. <laughs> and what if your mom, what if your mom went to somebody and said, here's the key to the house. Come in whenever you want. Would that be a good idea? No. no. And what if she said, and when you come into the house, you can take whatever you want. Would that be a good idea? No. And what if she said, and when you come into the house, you could just bring whatever you want and leave it there, even in Nicholas's room. Would that be a good idea? No. no. So you're telling me then that Jesus did something funny in the gospel when he gave St. Peter the keys then, huh? And said, you can open up whatever you want, and you can lock up. It is pretty funny. Thank you, Nicholas. Have a seat. Little things matter. Little things matter. Know what Jesus says. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Think about your house. Imagine that. You hand somebody the key to your house. Here it is. It's yours. You can come in whenever you want. You can take from my house whatever you feel like. You can come into my house and you can rearrange things however you'd like, whenever you'd like. You can come into my house and you can bring stuff and just leave it there. And I don't see many excited faces at the prospect of doing this. And so let's just pause with that. Because that essentially is what Jesus is saying to St. Peter. I will give you the key that nobody else has but me. I am giving you the key to the kingdom of heaven. And I am going to let you use it. And I am trusting you with this key. I am trusting you to unlock it for whoever you want. I am trusting you to use this key to access the goodness of the kingdom of heaven whenever you want, for whomever you want. What a remarkably powerful statement that is. This is not a small thing, because a key means access. A key means the ability to come and go as one pleases. A key gives the ability to bring a friend along. A key means I can come, and I can stay, I can rest, and I can take. What a remarkable statement. This is no small thing that Jesus says. I will give you that key. 
And so now we back up a bit in our gospel reading to see why the Lord is willing to extend this surprising gesture to St. Peter. And so the Lord begins by speaking to his disciples. And as we've been hearing all year long, Jesus from time to time has gotten into conflict with the Pharisees, with the scribes, with the priests, with other people, and in no small measure over different ideas with regard to the kingdom of God and who the Messiah is. And so Jesus begins by asking his disciples. And the question he asks his disciples is a question he could ask us. What do people say about me? What do people say about the Savior? What do people say about the Messiah? What do people say about God? What are you hearing? And so he receives from them a great variety of answers. Some say the Messiah is Elijah, come again. Some say he's another one of the prophets. Some say he's a good man, some say he's a teacher, some say he's a fraud. There are many, many opinions, just like in the world where we live. There are a variety of ways that people think about Christianity. There are a variety of opinions about Jesus. But the Lord continues because what he wants to surface for his disciples is the fact that real knowledge of Jesus doesn't come from what people think. Real knowledge of Jesus doesn't come from my opinion. Real knowledge of Jesus isn't found by taking surveys and seeing how many people believe what about him. Real knowledge of Jesus comes from someplace else. And so then he turns to his disciples after they answer those questions, and he rephrases the question. He begins by saying, what do people say about the Son of Man? But then he looks at his disciples. As mystically today, here in this place, he does with each and every one of us. And he looks at his disciples, meeting their eyes. And he says, but you, who do you say, not who God is, not who the Savior is, not who the Messiah is, who do you say, I am? And imagine that. Imagine, Nicholas, I'm coming back to you because I know your name. Uh, Jesus would be standing right in front of you. He's a better looking guy than me. And Jesus would be looking at you and he would say, Nicholas, who do you say that I am? Would you be nervous? It looks that way. I'll let you in on a secret. So would everybody else. Imagine being put on the spot like that. Where it's not, what does somebody else say about me? What do you have to say about me to my face? Not what do you think about me when you're alone. I'm with you now, Jesus says. 
You tell me to my face. Who am I to you? And it's probably a safe bet that the apostles are standing there and they're all feeling a little nervous. And they would do what we do. We're going to wait for somebody else to answer first. Because if they get it wrong, then we know what not to say. And if we get it right, then we can say, oh, he took my answer. And so here it is. Jesus is saying, you, take a stand. Who am I to you? You tell me. This is important because this is not, what are you going to tell the world about me? This is, you tell me. Who am I in your life? Who am I to you? And only one guy answers, and that's Peter. And so Simon Peter looks Jesus in the eye. And everybody else might be quiet, so he's going to speak for everybody. And he looks Jesus in the eye, and he says, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And note his answer. You're not just a prophet. You're not just a teacher. You are not just a holy man. You are more than a good man. You're more than a role model. You're more than a saint. You are the one in whom, through whom, and by whom God will save the world. In fact, you are his son. That is who you are to me. Note, that's not St. Peter saying what I read in my catechism is this. That is St. Peter saying, the Savior I have longed for is you. The word of God that I seek to follow is you. The one and only Savior of the world is you. What a remarkably powerful statement that is. Nobody adds anything. It's simple. It's clear. It's direct. And note the boldness of it. He doesn't even qualify it by saying, well, what I think is, he just comes right out and names it. Jesus, this is who you are in my life for me. And it's true for me because it's true for the world. What a powerful statement that is. And this is why Jesus reacts the way he does. Because no one has said this. No one has come forward and said, this is who you are. Not because somebody else said so, but because I've come to know you, and that's the truth. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And so Jesus looks at him and says, and you didn't get that from what people think. You didn't get that from the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests. You didn't even get that from your brother apostles. Heaven taught you that. Because that knowledge of me comes from heaven. Because real knowledge of me doesn't come from the world. Real knowledge of me is a gift of grace, a movement of the Holy Spirit, an act of my Father, 
who has spoken a truth into your heart that you received and heard. And he chose you to receive that knowledge of me. And because my Father has taught you that, and you have learned it, let me tell you who you are. So Nicholas, come here a minute. You see, this is what happens when you tell me your name. You keep getting jobs. And so Nicholas, so let's just suppose when Jesus asked you that question, you gave him a really good answer, okay? And what would happen next if Jesus said, Nicholas, I'm going to change your name to something else. Would you like that? Sure. sure. Look, he is such a good guy. <laughs> he is such a good guy. And when Jesus says that to Simon, he says, you are now Peter. He is renaming him. Because what Jesus is teaching us is when we know the truth about Jesus, then he can show us the truth of ourselves, who we really are. Because Jesus does have his own name for you, Nicholas. And the more you come to know him, the more he'll teach you that name. You may never hear anybody ever say it. But Jesus knows what you're capable of. And Jesus knows the good that you can do and he has a way of speaking to you that you'll learn the more you know him. And when he speaks to you that way, you'll know the good that you can do. And you'll know the kind of life that you can really have in a way that nobody else can teach you or show you. Thank you. Easiest applause you will ever get. <laughs> But what I said to young Nicholas is true for us. Know what Jesus does. Peter names him. And Jesus says, now, Peter, let me tell you who you are. Let me name you. Let me tell you about your life. You didn't know this, but you're the guy I'm given the key to. You didn't know this, but my father showed this to you because he has a plan for you, that's not his plan for anybody else. And you know it now because you know me. This is the way the spiritual life works. We can only know the full truth of our lives when we know the truth of who Jesus is. And when we open our lives to that truth of Jesus Christ, then the Lord can speak to us the truth of ourselves, the truth of who we really are, the truth of where we can really go, the truth of how we can fully live. We find it in him. We don't learn that either from the world around us. However good the things of the world may be, they can never give us the fullness, but he can. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And so Jesus says, and on that rock, that rock of what you just said about me, I am founding my church. On the rock that for me, you are the Christ. You are the Savior. You are the one. 
You are the son of the living God. How wonderful we can hear those words literally in front of an enormous rock. And what is on top of that rock but the Christ, the son of the living God, who is also the son of the Virgin Mary. And on that rock, that image of the Lord come to the world to save us has been placed to remind us of what Jesus said to Simon Peter on this rock. I will build my church on the rock of that testimony to my uniqueness, on the rock of that knowledge of who I really am and the difference I make in your life and the difference I make on behalf of every life. Small wonder then that we proclaim our scriptures from a rock so that the words of the gospel likewise remind us on this rock. I will build my church on the rock of you coming to know that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. Not to hear it, but to know it. And why? So that during Mass we can come forward under the shadow of this great rock to the one who comes to us on top of this rock. And note how wonderful it's going to be in a few minutes today. Bread and wine are going to be on top of this rock, this altar. And we'll pray the Eucharistic prayer. And suddenly, as we pray, bread and wine no more, only an appearance. And he will be there, the Christ, the Son of the living God, on that rock. And from that rock, he's going to come forward to you. And imagine that. Imagine that each of you coming forward, one at a time. And there's that moment as you come to the front and you stretch out your hand or you open your mouth and there's really nobody there but you and the Lord. I'm just the middleman at that point. I hold his presence in my hand, but you're not coming forward to meet me. You're coming forward to meet him. And that small, round, consecrated host is held up before your eyes. Think about that for a moment. Because that's Jesus at that moment looking you in the eye, even as you're looking at him. And what are you going to hear? The body of Christ. Note how that echoes what Peter said. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And in that moment, in that moment, before you breathe out your amen, Jesus, looking you in the eye, is saying, who am I to you? Who am I to you? And when you say your amen, 
however strong, however hesitant, however weak, when you say that amen, that is you echoing to the extent that you can. For me, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Come and dwell in my heart. And note what you've just done. You've given Jesus the key to the kingdom of your heart. And you say to him, whenever you want, come on in. Let yourself in. Rearrange the furniture. Take from me what needs to go. Bring into me what needs to be there. Note how marvelous that is? Jesus is the, isn't the only guy who's got a key. We do too. Nicholas, you've got a key to your heart, and you want to make sure you give it to Jesus. You want to make sure he knows he can use it. You come in when you want. You come in. You rest with me. You stay with me. You come in. You take out of me what needs to go. You come in. You put inside of me what needs to be there. Note how marvelous this is. Note how wonderful this is. Note how tremendous it is that the Lord gave the key to St. Peter and founded his church upon this. And because of that, 2,000 years later, that church still stands. And that church has grown around the entire world. And we get to be here. And even as we celebrate the sacraments today, everything that happens is because we are allowed to share in that gift of the key that Jesus gave to St. Peter. How absolutely wonderful that is. And so it is that on this rock, in just a few minutes, we're going to use that key. And when we say the prayers of the church here in this place, united to St. Peter, he's going to be here. And we can come forward to receive him. And what a marvelous gift that is. Amen.